Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. You can open your Bible to the book of Amos. We're going to jump in chapter 1 today, and let's go ahead and pray as we get started. Father, we do thank you today for your word, and as we open it, God, to a book that maybe we haven't read for a long time, and maybe some of us, we just have never studied before. I do pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. This is one of those books that doesn't really seem to have a lot of hope until we get to the end, but I know that you're going to teach us things, you're going to show us things that we need to know, that we need to see, because our whole life is built on your word. We love the Old and the New Testament. We need both. We thank you, Lord, for the past, the present, and the future. We pray that your word would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Bless everyone that joins us today. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. The book of Amos, chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read in uh, chapter 1, and then I'll come back and give some commentary, do an introduction, so on and so forth. But this is what it says. You're not going to probably know what we're talking about until we come back and make some comments. But let's read it first. And this is what it says in verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which was envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and from Jerusalem. He utters his voice, and the shepherds pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad and I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, so the people of Aram will go exile to curse, says the Lord. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it will consume her citadels, and I will also cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod. I will, And him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, and I will even unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and I will consume her citadels. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword. While he stifled his compassion, his anger also tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon Teman, and I will consume the citadels of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to enlarge in their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah, or Rabbah, and it will consume her citadels amid war cries on the day of battle, 
and a storm on the day of tempest. Their king will go into exile. He and his princes together, says the Lord. Now that's a whole lot of pronouncement of judgment, but let me go ahead and just give you an introduction to the book of Amos, and then we'll go ahead and make some comments in chapter one, and hopefully have some practical takeaways from today. And you're wondering if you've read ahead, how am I going to do that? You'll see. You will see. Just stay tuned. Now, the book of Amos, nine chapters long. It's very short. It's written by Amos, and it says here in the Bible that he was from Tekoa. This is a village that's just about five miles from Bethlehem, 10 miles just south of Jerusalem. Amos's name means burden or burden bearer. It also means protected. And he is the only prophet in the Bible to give his occupation before he talks about his divine commission. Typically, you'll have a prophet of God, and it shows that he's called of God in a specific way. His divine commission was given to him by the Lord. But here we have Amos, very unique. He says about himself that he is a sheep herder and that he is uh, one who tends to, to the sycamores uh, or the sycamore fruit. And this means basically that he's a type of shepherd. It's, it's debatable sometimes what this actually means, a sheep herder. So he's a type of shepherd, but he is also uh, one that tends to orchards. He's not just somebody that that picks fruit from trees. He's a he's an orchard grower. That's basically what he does. He oversees multiple trees in an orchard. Now the date of his writing is sometime between 790 and 739 BC, and he has some contemporary prophets like Jonah, Isaiah, and Hosea. Their messages are going to somehow overlap, so it's important sometimes to read the contemporary prophets because they have similar messages or they have messages that kind of help us understand the rest of what's going on during that time. Now it does mention in this chapter that Amos was prophesying during the time of Uzziah and Jeroboam. Now Jeroboam the second, not the first. And so it's important for us to remember that Uzziah was the king of Judah, Jeroboam the second was the king of Israel. We have the southern tribe and the northern tribes of Israel. If you've ever listened to me about this uh, conversation, the northern tribes never had a righteous king, and the southern tribes did. So they had, I think, six that were righteous kings, and the rest were unrighteous. But what we're going to see here is that um, Amos is going to first prophesy to the nations or the neighbors of Israel, and then in chapter 2, he's going to set his attention fully on Israel. And he is a Judean prophet who's going to prophesy against the northern tribes. He's going to, uh, or the northern kingdom is what I should say. And so here's what we have. Politically speaking, this message was during a time of great prosperity, a long secure reign of Jeroboam II. The king significantly restored the territory of Israel after the years of turmoil from Assyria. If you followed my Jonah study, you'll remember this, the Assyrian Empire had really encroached on the borders of Israel. Um, they had plundered and pillaged Israel for years. Finally, um, Assyria had been conquered or had been weakened, and so they were no longer a threat to Israel. Jeroboam II at this time was actually leading them in a time of prosperity. But morally, uh, spiritually, the nation of Israel was corrupt, and so was Jeroboam II, very much so. So Amos comes and he indicts Israel in this book, not in this chapter particularly, but in this book, he indicts Israel of two primary things. The first 
is an absence of true worship, even in the midst of their ritualistic performance of worship. So again, you're going to hear me say this several times throughout this book. Israel thought that what they were doing was right and righteous, and yet it wasn't true. So in other words, true worship, real worship, was not happening in the nation of Israel. They thought it was, and God comes with his indictment through the prophet against them saying, you don't really worship me. The second thing is a lack of justice. So first God speaks through Amos to the neighbors and their lack of justice, their sin, their wickedness. Secondarily, he's going to come against Israel, his own people, and he's going to say, you have a lack of justice. I've called you through the law to take care of people, and you've done everything but that. And so we're going to see that unfold throughout the entire book. Now let's just look at uh, some of the chapter, some of the verses here in chapter one, because a lot of this doesn't really make sense. So just verse one, it says, "The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which is envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years." before the earthquake. Now, I've already talked to you about how Amos introduces himself, which is completely unusual in comparison to how other prophets were called. But it's really important for us to just look at the details that we wouldn't understand. For example, it says two years before the earthquake. Now, this earthquake is is actually mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14. The historian Josephus connects it with Uzziah's sin of usurping the role of the priest. We can read about that in 2 Chronicles. But historically, there is an earthquake that is recorded. And isn't it important to know that when the Bible says something like this, just a little comment, this, this was before the earthquake, this, this letter, this prophecy was written, it was delivered before the earthquake. We know that uh, history shows us 755 BC, there was a great earthquake most scholars believe that's what was being referred to here. So this was written before that time, which is completely consistent with uh, Amos's years of prophecy and uh, and the and what we have is the the reign of those that he mentions as well. So entirely consistent. It's really important for us to know. Verse two, it says, "He said, the Lord roars from Zion. The Lord roars. Why does it say this?" Well, a roar, a, a male lion, remember just as a metaphor, roars to let the pride know about intrud- intruders. And so he's warning the pride. Sometimes a male lion will roar to intimidate um, those that are intruding or encroaching onto his territory. And sometimes it's just a display of power. There's a lot of documents that would say that a male lion's roar can be heard up to five miles. It's very serious. But there's a clear connection for this metaphor to be used as, as judgment, the roar of the Lord. This is mentioned, I think, in the book of, the book of Joel, uh, chapter 3. You're, you're going to see the roar of the Lord, which is really the judgment against the nation of Israel. And in this book of Amos, we're going to read about the roar of the Lord against the nations. In particular, we're going to read about five neighbors in chapter 1 and chapter 2, And then in chapter 2, it's going to be entirely about Israel. This is the northern kingdom. And so the roar of the Lord is speaking of judgment. And this is what we're going to read about uh, again and again. And it goes on to say, From Jerusalem he utters his voice, the shepherds uh, pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Carmel, as we read about here, it's uh, the mountain range that runs east to west in northern Israel all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. 
Carmel was known for its beautiful trees and lush gardens. And so when it says that it dries up, it's specifically speaking about a judgment that's going to cause what normally would be plentiful, bountiful, beautiful. That's not going to happen anymore. In fact, that's going to be the, quite the opposite. But let's go, out, go on and look at verse 3 as well. And here's what it says. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. A couple things to notice. We're going to read about five different nations or people groups that God's going to bring judgment against through the prophet Amos. And it's important. You're going to read rhetoric like this. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four. This is like this uh, rhetorical comment, sort of a mathematical enumeration that really isn't about three or four sins. It's just saying it's repeated. The sins of this people, the sins of this city is repeated. And so we're going to, so this is why God's bringing about judgment. That's what this language is referring to for three sins or four. If you might say, well, were there three or four or five or how many were there? It's really not about three or four. It's just saying that they had repeated sins. So when you read, you know, language like this, it's important for us to know that that's what um, it's being talked about right there. Now, Damascus was the capital city of Israel's powerful northeast neighbor, which is called both Syria and Aram. David had conquered Aram, but they had regained their freedom under the reign of Solomon, his son. So Amos starts by saying, this is what the Lord is saying. So he says this five times. This is what the Lord is saying. He's clarifying. He's making a distinction between a prophecy and his own thoughts or anybody else's thoughts or any of that. This is a clear prophecy from God. This is what God is saying. Now, Aram was a constant enemy to Israel, and the sin that they're being judged for, as we can read about here in verse 3, is their brutality against Gilead. A picture of their brutality was related to a large threshing sled with iron spikes that's dragged over the fields. And that's really the metaphor that's being used. It's saying Aram is doing this to these people. It's just like dragging these the threshing spikes over the field. That's how they're treating the people. That's the metaphor. So their sins are egregious. They're very serious. We'll read about it in later chapters as well, or later books, when the prophets are indicting the other nations, how they treat the women, how they treat the children, um, how they break treaties, how they break covenants, how they lie, they steal, they pillage, not just in war, but also in deception. And so God's bringing about judgment through Amos against Aram. And then we're going to go here into verse 4. He goes on speaking about Aram, Damascus being their capital city. I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. Hazael was the king of Damascus. The judgment is going to come against him and against his dynasty. His son is Ben-Hadad. So it's saying, hey, not only am I going to judge the people, not only am I going to judge the city, I'm going to judge the king, and I'm going to judge the king's lineage. That's how serious the judgment of God is. Verse 5, he says, I will also break the gate bar of Damascus. I will cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. Um, and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, which means house of pleasure, uh, so the people of Aram will go exiled into Kerr. Now, it's important for us to know that the Valley of Avon, which also means wickedness, he's basically just saying everything that stands for strength in Aram, so we're talking about gates and citadels and fortresses, 
everything that stands for strength, God is saying, I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to show you that you're not strong. I mean, isn't that a word, right? So all of the things that you prop up, all the things that you're proud of, all of that's going to be demolished. Thus says the Lord. Yahweh is saying, I will demolish everything that stands for strength because of the way that you treat people. That's really powerful. Verse 6, he goes into a judgment of another nation. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. And let me just go through and read this whole section here. Because they deported um, an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza. It will consume her citadels. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod um, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even unleash my power upon Ekron. The remnant of the Philistines will perish. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Philistines. Historically, we read about five major cities. Only four are mentioned right here. The Philistines settled into that Gaza Strip area, which is between Israel and Egypt. And so the Philistines had been a thorn in Israel's side. They're the second most powerful enemy that they've always had. We, of course, know that David conquered the Philistines, and they were never truly a great threat again, even though they were an enemy of Israel, and they had been an irritant. They had caused great pain, great harm. So the book of Amos, the prophet, is saying God's going to bring punishment against the four remaining cities. One of them had been completely destroyed at this time, but God is going to bring about um, uh, He's going to bring about punishment and consequences to all, except for Gath, which had been, been destroyed at this time. It's really important once again for us to understand that what is being said here in the book of Amos is not just in reference or response to something that was done once or twice. Once again, we, we keep reading this language. It's for three sins, even four. There, there comes a point where the sins of a people just get so great. When we think about judgment, we think about God judging. God judges as a last resort to help people understand that you can't go, he's not going to allow us to go too far to wipe out ourselves. God's not going to allow that to happen. So when he brings judgment, it is in a sense out of his mercy. It is in a sense out of his love. And that's why he does it. Judgment is necessary. Discipline is necessary. It might seem like a lot. It might seem serious. But when you're talking about people that are killing each other, we're talking about people that are, the brutality is egregious. The brutality is things you don't even want to mention. Yeah, God's going to deal with it severely. He's going to deal with it swiftly. He's going to deal with it seriously. We should expect that. We should expect that when we're talking about wartime nations who are killing each other, God is surely going to do something and must do something for him to be a loving God. In fact, I've preached about this. When I went through the book of Jonah, I talked about judgment. And while we look at judgment and we think if God is truly loving, then why would he judge? Well, here's the, the reality. If God is loving, then he must judge. A, a passive God is not a loving God. If people are killing each other and they're doing harm to each other, I mean, they're, they're affecting generations. They're affecting children. They're affecting everyone. I mean, they're wiping out each other. If God doesn't step in, it shows that he's not actually loving. Now, the, the idea or the indictment comes against God that if he was loving, then he would do it in a different way. Well, what do we want him to do? Control people? Do we want God to actually control our faculties? Is that what makes God loving and righteous? No, God has given us free will. He's given us the ability to love him. He's given us the ability to do right, and he's giving us the choice to do wrong. 
clearly from the beginning we've chosen to do wrong. Other nations, the nation of Israel, God's first covenant people, we see this throughout the Bible. We see that we have blown it. We've messed it up. This is why we needed a Savior. You've heard me preach about this many, many times, but this is the reality of why judgment was needed, and this is the reality of why Jesus needed to come. So that judgment, so to speak, eternally could actually come off of the people, and we could choose to come back into relationship with the loving God, who even in His judgment is showing us that He loves us, saving the lineages for years and years to come. Otherwise, we would wipe each other out. That's exactly what we would do. And to think anything less is to suggest that people are by nature good, and they are not. We are not. That is not the nature of people. And so, like I said, there's five judgments that are coming against five nations. We've already read about two, and we're going to continue here in verse 9, Amos chapter 1 and verse 9, and it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom, and I did not remember, and they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. They had a covenant with Israel. Um, Tyre was an ancient uh, city built on an island 35 miles north of Mount Carmel. Tyre and Sidon were the two most prominent Phoenician cities. Tyre was allied to Israel through the marriage of the Sidonian princess named Jezebel to King Ahab. You may remember that. So they had a treaty, and this is another word of saying they had a covenant. They broke that covenant. They were a thorn in Israel's side. They did not honor their word. And so here the prophet Amos is saying that God is going to send fire upon them because not only have they committed egregious sin, not only have they um, been a thorn in Israel's side, but they've broken their own word and they've they've given out great brutality. Um, and, and we read about that in other parts of the Bible. Now we go here into verse 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord for three uh, transgressions of Edom and for four I will not revoke its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion. His anger also tore continually. He maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon Teman and will consume the citadels of Basra. The nation of Edom descended from Esau. Therefore, they were in a sense a brother of Israel. Edom's crimes, which we're reading about here, were violating the relationship that they had with Israel by persisting in hostility and also war and violence. And the brutality to which they committed was just great. And so God is going to judge them. That's what this is about. And finally, the last judgment that we read about here is going to be in verse 13 through 15. Here's what it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead. This is very, I mean, obviously it's a serious picture. In order to enlarge their borders, so I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah, and I will consume her citadels amid war cries on the day of battle, and the storm on the day of tempest. Their king will go into exile. He and his princes together, says the Lord. The people of Ammon are descendants of Ben-Ammon, who is the son of Lot and his younger daughter. You might remember that moment of incest. And so that's where these people come from. And God is calling out their inhumane treatment of women and children. Even though this was a common practice during wartime, it didn't matter. God sees every sin. He sees what we do. He sees how we do it. He sees why we do it. He's calling this out. During the period of the judges, the Ammonites encroached on Gilead, which is what's being referenced here. Judges chapter 3, Judges chapter 10. And this was not the end of their hostility toward Israel 
at all. Uh, Rabah was the capital city of Ammon, and the pronouncement of judgment is that war will come and their capital will be destroyed. So here's what we're reading about. We're reading about neighbors to Israel. God, through the prophet Amos, is bringing judgment. Now, this is a long time coming. Lest you think this is some kind of response or reaction, it is not. This is a long time coming. God is bringing about that judgment. And we're going to see the same thing is going to happen to the covenant people of God, Israel. This is going to be in chapter 2. We're going to open that up. You say, Ben, well, practically, how can we glean from this? Well, I just want to share with you three principles because we need to look at something that we can take away, something that we can glean, even if it's just to understand God better. That is always enough to know who God is, to know what God is like, to know why God does what he does to the degree that we can. God is, I mean, he is infinite. He is magnificent. He's glorious. He's above and beyond our understanding. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. There's things we cannot understand about God. We are not on his level, but we can understand some things, especially when the scriptures show us these various aspects about God. We've got to ask the right questions. That's important for us to do that, to gain a proper theology and an understanding. And the first thing that I want to mention is God will use anyone. All right, when we open the book of Amos, something that we see is Amos is not from the line of the prophets. His dad's not a prophet. He's got no pedigree. We we don't. He's he's a sheep herder and he's an orchard grower. This is who he is. He's somebody that tends to the fruit of the sycamore. I mean, he he is not a person that was typically chosen. He's not of the priestly order. He's not of any noble descent. This is a typical context for a lot of those who were called prophet, priest, king, judge. Amos is one of those individuals that is just called out of the box, and I love this. You know why? Because even in the Old Covenant, God will call whomever He chooses for His purposes, and He does sometimes do that because people are used to it being a certain individual. People are used to it being a certain person. People are used to things being a certain way. And I think even now, God calls people that are unlikely candidates because He's going to do something that otherwise people would not expect or they wouldn't adhere to, they wouldn't listen to, they wouldn't look for. Now think about this. This, this A couple weeks ago, I preached a message in Jeremiah chapter 29. It was called A New Path for a New Place. And I was just talking about the season that we're in. And in the beginning of the coronavirus shutdown, I was actually convinced that this could not be any kind of judgment from God. And the Lord showed me through study that judgment comes in two ways. Now, God can judge whomever he wishes, but in Christ, the judgment, the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ, and we're in a dispensation of grace where the good news of Jesus is being preached to all people so that everyone has an opportunity to come back into relationship with God. Now, that's important, right? So on an individual level, it's that God's not just judging our individual sins per se. Now, does God discipline those whom he loves? Of course he does but he's not judging us by giving us cancer, okay? So those kinds of judgments are not something that God is doing, okay? Cancer is the part of a broken planet, sickness, disease, illness. We have demonic spirits. I mean, all of that. We have not stewarding our our bodies properly, collectively, as a society, the foods we eat, the things we do, the places we go, the air we breathe, whatever. Anyways, we're living on a broken planet. It's not perfect, and so we're going to have sickness, disease, ailments, opposition, Um, spiritual warfare, all of those things are going to be part of this life. And so we look to God, we follow God, God has the power over all things. God has not only called, called us to a temporary 
life with him, but an eternal life with him. So that is our hope. It's, it's to be with him forever. But I was preaching and I was, I was being shown by the Lord that judgment comes in two ways. One way is where God's hand of protection and blessing is on a people or is on a place and God in judgment will remove his hand. When he removes his hand, things that are lurking in the shadows all of a sudden have opportunity. Does that mean that God made those things or those people or those motives that are lurking in the shadows do that? No, but he knew that if he took his hand off, that's what would happen. So when a people is persistent, and I even think in the new covenant, and I believe that the Lord's shown me that this does happen because God is moving nations and there is collateral damage and that is hard to understand. But the reality is that God does love us and our hope is in eternity. Our hope is eternal. But there are big things that are at play right now. There are things that are happening. And if we read the book of Revelation, which I'm starting this weekend, we see that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. We see that Jesus is coming back. We see that judgment is coming upon this earth. We see that the nations will be judged, that Jesus is a righteous judge. We see that from Scripture. So we we should not cast that off and have some other view of Jesus. We've got to realize that he is the righteous king with a scepter in his hand. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a second. But it's important for us to realize that God will sometimes in judgment remove his hand. When that happens, things that are lurking in the shadows will have their way and uh, will be in a fight or whoever is being judged will be in a fight. The other type of judgment is where God moves his hand of judgment. So his hand will move upon something or move someone to do something, or his hand will be removed. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up um, is because I was shown that. And what we read is that there are times where God, in seasons of judgment or pre-judgment, where he will raise up people who have voices that will speak for him. They will not be from within the system. Now, a lot of times, prophets could not be part of the political system. And the reason is because they needed to carry the pure word. If you think about it, there were prophets, or there were priests, and there were kings. Prophets had a role that was outside of the priesthood, and it was outside of the kingship. So they they didn't have to be part of the politics. Now, sometimes prophets were because they were tempted by the things that they were being offered. But God would call people like an Amos, and I think God had to call Amos, and he knows why, of course, but he had to call him because he wasn't corrupted as some of the other maybe modern prophets were. This is really important so that in this day and in this age, there will be people that many will look to and they will say, what does that person say? And that person isn't going to say the right thing. People will trust that voice, but they're not going to say the biblical thing. They're not going to say the spirit-led thing. They're going to say the thing that they feel like they're supposed to say. Their voices will be trusted, but God's going to raise up people from outside of that system who are going to carry the pure word of the Lord, and it will come offensively in the beginning. Think about how this message is going to be conveyed and how it's going to be received. I don't think people are going to be very happy who are going to receive Amos chapter 1. And wait till we get to Amos chapter 2. Not gonna be very happy about it. So God calls a guy that nobody would suspect is a prophet. He has no qualifications and no credentials. And my point is, is that God will use anybody. What does that mean? That means that we've got to pay attention to not just the voices that are popular, not just the voices that we think, but we need to pay attention to the voice of the Lord through whomever he chooses. God will raise up people to say what he wants to say. And the way that we've got to function is we've got to have discernment no matter who that comes through. 
no matter what way that might come to us. And I think sometimes we miss what God says because we don't like the package. Well, friend, you and I, we need to stop looking at the package and we've got to start listening to the voice. And that's what we see here in the book of Amos. God uses whomever. And I'll tell you something, my ears are open and my discernment is growing. I want you to have the same. I want your ears to be open. I want your discernment to be growing because maybe we're in a period of time that we've never been before, which is true. And there are voices that God's going to raise up. And there are things that God needs to say that are not the typical thing that we would expect. What I've noticed is the voices that are reacting, the voices that are responding, the voices that automatically assume that they know what's supposed to be said, what's supposed to be done. I'm sensing the flesh in a lot of those voices. And so I'm listening and I'm waiting patiently upon the voice of the Lord. I'm, we've got to study the word of God. Okay, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm being jolted right now. What does this mean? The second principle I want to give to you today is God is the judge. I just want us to see God for who he really is. God is our father. God is um, God is loving. God is just. God is merciful. But God brings about judgment when it is necessary. And we've got to understand that. If God is loving, then he has to be the judge. He has to judge what is right from what is wrong. And he's got to make decisions that only he can understand. And my reason in saying this is that sometimes, especially today, people are preaching about a Jesus and they're preaching about God in a way that is not in keeping with Scripture. And I would tell you this, God has to judge at times. If he does not step in and make a righteous judgment, have a righteous decree, then he is not truly loving. And we know that he is loving. God disciplines those whom he loves. His discipline sometimes is severe and it is swift and it is beyond our comprehension. But what we want is whatever God needs to do because our trust in him is that he knows and we do not. This is a season where we've got to take a step back and we've got to study about the judgment of the Lord. We've got to understand the righteous king, the righteous judge. This is God. It's not in totality who God is. He is love. He is just. He is merciful. He is, he's all of these things. But the tension is that in this season, we've got to understand, maybe not all of this is exactly from the hand moving of God, but it could be from the hand being lifted. And when the hand is lifted, we didn't realize that we're, we were living under the protection of the Lord. It's kind of like when kids grow up, you know, they don't understand that their parents are paying the water bill and they're paying all this stuff. They're taking care of all this. They don't realize the protection that they're living in until they get out from under that covering. And then they realize how expensive life is. They realize how hard work is. They realize all the things they just didn't have to care about, think about, and they have this awakening, most of them. <laughs> they have this awakening to reality. And reality is, is that I was being well cared for, well taken care of. But when I came out from under that covering, I had to fend for myself. I had to deal with all of those things that I didn't deal with before. I had to look at all those things I didn't have to look at before. I had to feel all those things I didn't have to feel before. And here's what, I here's what I'm trying to say is, is that... God is the judge, and we want to make sure that we understand the totality of all that God is, okay? This is a season to really understand that. And some of you might be thinking, Ben, why'd you choose the book of Amos? Well, first of all, it's just something that came to my heart. But as I was reading it, and even Pastor Steve McConnell was telling me earlier, as, we cho as I chose this book, it's one of those books where it's like, you have to really dig into this book to understand what it means, why it happened, 
But in the behind all that, we're looking at Amos is only representing Yahweh. So really what it does is it helps us understand Yahweh. And if we see judgment as such a negative thing rather than a necessary thing, then we've got to dig deeper to understand who God is, honestly. The third and final point that I want to make is that people of God, the people of God tend to stray from God. Something that I've noticed as I've been studying the Old Testament is that the people of God tend to think they're always right with God. They do. We tend to think that we're right with God. So in a season like this, it's easy to judge who we think needs to be judged. See, if we were to read Amos chapter 1, we would think, yep, all those other nations, they definitely are not right with God. God needs to judge them. Amen, amen. But here's what happens in chapter 2. God sets his judgment towards Israel, and it continues, and it keeps going, and it just unfolds far beyond what we read about in chapter 1. Why? Because God's going to hold his people accountable and responsible for what they have, for what they know. And as God has continued to give them the law, prophets to bring them back to covenant faithfulness, again and again and again, God has given them chance after chance after chance, and he is so long-suffering. He is so loving, and we see that. He is so merciful. What we cannot do in our times, which we read about from Scripture, and we've got to read this and go, okay, how can we learn from this? The people of God tend to think that they are right with God. That is not acceptable for us. Listen, we've got to humble ourselves. I don't know where you're at with God. Maybe you're, you're in good relationship with Him, you're following him. We are right before God because of Jesus Christ. His precious blood has saved us and set us apart. However, are we in keeping with what Jesus paid a price for? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Are we walking worthy of the calling for which we have received in Christ Jesus? Are we living the way that God has called us to live? Are we living in keeping with what Jesus paid a price for? I think it's Leonard Ravenhill that said, are we living... Um, are, are we living a life that, that Jesus died for? Is what we are living for worth what Jesus died for? I think is how he said it. Are what, we, are what we are living for, what we are living for, is it worth what Jesus died for? Listen, it's not about guilt. It's about saying my whole life is in his hands. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. And so seasons like this call us to a humility. If it calls us to pride, something is wrong with our hearts. If it calls us to rail against everyone else, something is wrong with our hearts. We've got to put our heart before God and humble ourselves and say, Lord, how can I walk with you in step? How can I be your messenger? How can I be your hands and your feet? How can I follow you in a way maybe I, I wasn't in the previous season? When the blessing, the hand of the Lord is removed from a people in such a way, it does not mean the presence of God for those who have the Holy Spirit living in them are experiencing the same thing. It means that we're salt and light in a world of darkness. And God is calling his people to not just take a stand and rise up and speak against. He's calling his people to humble themselves, reflect on where we are, listen to the Lord, repent, and then turn and become the hands, feet, and the mouthpiece of God, of Jesus in our generation. It's not a day where we think automatically, yeah, I'm right with God and everybody else isn't. Listen, the world is the world. We're to be in the world and not of the world. But the question is, are we in the world and looking like the world? And if that's the case, God is calling us. He's calling us out of worldliness back into the world to help people be saved, set free, delivered, and healed. And so it's important for us to recognize the people of God tend to stray from the Lord, but not us, not followers of Jesus, not now, not in this season. It's time for us to rise up, speak up, step up, and be the people that God has called us to be. 
I want to encourage you to read ahead. I want to encourage you to dig deep. And I hope this encourages you today, strengthens you as you walk with the Lord and see Him in an unfolding way as we get to know Him better and better and better and represent Him well in the days in which we're living. Let's go ahead and pray as we close. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for your word. I pray that you would encourage us with the principles that I discussed. Lord, you call anyone. You can call anyone to be used by you for your purposes, and we pray that we would have discernment. Use us, Lord, we pray. Here we are. Uh, Give us discernment to hear your voice through whomever and whatever way you choose to send it. We thank you for that, Lord. We also recognize that you are the righteous judge. As we see the picture of judgment here in the book of Amos, Lord, help us to renew our minds to who you really are. We thank you for that today. And also, Lord, we just pray that we would not be a people that stray from you. Help us in any way, Lord, that we are not walking in alignment with you and your purposes and your word. I pray, God, for repentance in our lives that we would humble ourselves, that we would be a people desperate for you, a people on our knees calling out, crying out for the Almighty God to speak to us, speak through us, use us in whatever way that you see fit. We thank you today for your word. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.